0: We can take somebody at 5% conversion rates and take that person to 30% conversion rate. You're listening to the B2B
1: Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. All right, listeners, buckle up because we're about to jump into one of my favorite Topics. If you've spent any time with me, if you listen to the podcast, you've heard this come up over and over: neuroscience and sales. And if you've been in class with me, you've been to workshops. You know I talk about this a lot. So, want to make sure that you know we're taking this opportunity to talk about how important awareness is and neuroplasticity theory of the mind. I'm a big believer that if you understand it and you're aware of it, then you have more opportunity to impact the way you perform. And so we're going to focus on theory of the mind or mentalizing as it relates to B2B sales reps, their ability to close accounts and negotiate. What really makes a great B2B salesperson from a cognitive perspective? Is it empathy or is that a myth? To help us, we have with us Nicholas Vandenberg, who started out his career selling newspapers in the streets of Paris in high school. So, for those of you that are complaining about the grind, really, we don't want to hear it. You weren't selling newspapers in the streets in Paris. He received his MBA from Stanford, has since started and sold three tech companies, and is now CEO of B2B tech startup Chili Pepper Piper, a pioneer in buyer enablement. Nicholas, thank you for taking the time and welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Okay, so before we jump in, we always like to start with a question to help the audience connect with you as a person. And so, and I switch them up. And today, for some reason, I'm back on this hobby. So if you think about people that only know you through work, what is a hobby or passion you have that they would
0: be surprised to learn about? Well, as you can tell, I'm originally French and a lot of people <laughs> ex- expect me to uh, be uh, a connoisseur in wine and as hard as i tried, uh, I was never able to uh, tell a good wine from a bad one. So one day, <laughs> one day I decided I'd pick something easier and I picked um, cognac. So the, oh. the brandy and, and I, I worked really hard. I went to the one day after the cognac region and everything explained to me. And, just, I, and I focused my uh, abilities on being able to tell the difference between a good cognac and a bad cognac. And I know um, I claim to be an expert. I love it. I
1: love it. Okay. So for our listeners, how about, uh, I mean, you've got a great background, you know, uh, built and sold companies, but how about a little context for our listeners around the current uh, investment, what you're doing now and kind of what you guys are hoping to bring to the market?
0: Yeah. So Chili Pepper, um, started in 2016 and we focused on, uh, we call it buyer enablement, the idea that there's going to be a new wave of technology that's going to help companies help their buyers. So, the back end uh, of uh, sales and marketing has been automated. Uh, you have things like Salesforce, CRM, and so on. And the idea that the next wave is going to be technology that actually helps the buyer, that actually makes the buyer's life easier. So, we started with a very simple solution. Uh, Every company has a form that says, contact us. When you fill that form, you get a thank you page, say, thank you, somebody's going to call you. And then you wonder, well, who's going to call me and when? And that's a (laughs) problem, right? And and that's the problem we solve. In real time, we find, we qualify the prospect. We find which rep should be taking the the meeting. If the rep is available, we dial and connect them. If it's not available, we return the calendar and the prospect book. So the prospect instantly knows either is connected or knows when they're going to be uh, talking, with who, whom they're going to be talking. And miraculously, as you can imagine, conversion rates double, right? If you, don't, if you treat your well. well you're,
1: you're removing the friction. You're yeah, right. You're removing uh, the friction. You're making it
0: seamless. That's exactly right. So that, that that's what we started with. We have a lot of new products coming uh, in, in, in November at reinforce that we're going to announce, uh, but all around the idea of uh, helping uh, – making the buyers life easier so that the buyers convert better.
1: Excellent. So, okay, so you're building a company, you've got, you know, you have to sell and, and do stuff. So I'm curious, this topic of neuroscience for you, you know, the brain, how it impacts sales performance. When did you develop a passion for neuroscience or, or an understanding of the importance of it
0: in, in business? A long, long time ago, actually. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's true, it's true. And, and, and I'm actually super excited that finally, a Chili Piper, I can uh, use it. I've always been interested in psychology, and uh, I came to the US in 1993 to go to Stanford Business School. And at the time, more on the other campus of the, the, the psychology and neuroscience campus was a guy called Amos Tversky, who um, is famous for co inventing behavioral economics together with Daniel Kahneman. Uh, yes. So, unfortunately, Amos Tversky passed away, and the Nobel Prize cannot be. Uh, given customers, Uh, so, so, so Daniel came and got the Nobel prize, but really the two of them did it together. So I took a class with, uh, Tversky and it was completely fascinating. And then he, he recommended other classes around it around neuroscience. It was, uh, in the mid nineties, it was really the beginning of uh, neuroscience, uh, MRI, uh, the, the MRI technology was only becoming now, uh, affordable so they were starting to scan people's brain and do a lot of, of experiments so that's when i started and i was never able to uh, use this interest professionally until chili Viber. while i was doing other things this this uh, science made tons of progress it really went from the dark ages to something <laughs> very, very advanced and um, i was fortunate when i moved to new york that uh arguably the leading uh, researcher in, in neuroscience applied to business is this guy called Paul Glincher at NYU. He, he invented that uh, category called neuroeconomics, so the idea of understanding uh, decisions through neuroscience. So he's it, actually trained both as an economist and as a neuroscience scientist. And he's built this great community of researchers uh, who are trying to understand how we make decisions and how we get affected. So he's published a book called Neuroeconomics with something like uh, 30 uh, chapters with specific uh, experiments that prove some points. One of the most fascinating things that they've discovered is that uh, we always think that empathy is what... uh, Matters in sales, like you, you mentioned in your introduction. And they discovered there's something different called the theory of mind. They also call it mentalizing that is close to empathy, that people think, but actually appears as close, to, but is actually very different and is much more relevant to the world of sales.
1: And so was that, that was one of the aha moments for you when you were, I mean, you had the opportunity to, to study under Glimcher and then the book uh, is kind of a, a guide for the rest of us that didn't have that opportunity. But this theory of of mentalizing and the theory of the mind, help, help us understand that a little bit more and how it differs from what most salespeople are attempting
0: to figure out, which is more traditional empathy. Yeah. So uh, the aha moment was when I, I read this article and I could put the two pieces together. So. Let me go back 20 years, 25 years, actually. When I started the Stanford Business School, I was fortunate to be been exposed to Steve Jobs. He came on campus and he came to talk to us. He was 30 of us in a room. At the time, he was not the Steve Jobs we, <laughs> we, we, we know, right? He, he, he wasn't working on order yet. It was actually, if anything, it was more like a sinking in order. It was, <laughs> <laughs> he was doing this company called Next, and that was... Uh, People call it next to nothing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it well. But yet he was very impressive and in, in spite of the fact that he was struggling, he had this charisma that you you would want you wanted to believe in in, in what he was doing. And so that can convince me to go into tech an entrepreneurship. He had such salesmanship and everybody says, Oh Steve Job is the greatest salesperson alive. And then I started reading about his life and he had all sorts of uh, dark moments, right? Uh, so, like not recognizing his, his daughter and, and, and calling people assholes. And he, he didn't come across as a very, uh, as a guy with the most empathy in the room. Right. That, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you think, well, that's impossible. I thought that empathy is what matters in sales. And here's the guy who people call an asshole, and he's the greatest salesman in the world so so that 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 that's striking and so i'm thinking but what is it? How, how is it and then this article came up so um in essence what the article says is that uh, empathy is the tendency to i would say catch other people's emotions catches in imitate so you see somebody sad you can't tell by being sad you see people happy you can't tell by being happy so it's, it's contagion. You, you, it is, it is there's a contagious aspect to emotion that you, you catch, and that's, that's uh, empathy. Yet there's something completely different that they call theory of mind, that you don't need to catch the emotions at all. You just need to be able to read them. So you don't experience them, you read them. You, 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 you're able to read what, what emotion the other person is experiencing. You're also understanding, able to read their motivations so you're able to understand that uh, people may make a particular decision in the context they are, and another decision in another context, because you're able to have the intelligence of, of their motivations and their emotion, And it turns out that you don't need to uh, feel uh, sad to understand that people are sad. You don't need to feel uh, happy to understand people are happy. And the most amazing discovery is that it's two different parts of the brain that do these two, uh, these two things. So empathy is one set of uh, networks. Theory of mind is another set of networks. And so now they were able to show evidence in the brain that these two things are different and they behave differently. So for me, there was a haha moment that, well, that makes sense, right? So Steve Jobs doesn't give a shit that these people are unhappy. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but he can tell that if you price it, $600 a piece of hardware that used to cost 150 we will buy it, Right because right. we, 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 uh, this is how we feel about it. And you can tell that if we uh, it is this particular interface and and goes on stage and show it that way, we're all going to uh, follow him. And and that was a, a huge uh, aha moment. And it's surprising to me that it's not been better known because uh, once you know the theory, you see examples all around you. For example, a good example is... Uh, People think of salespeople as um, typically uh, extrovert, friendly, you know, like uh, socially uh, very present. And then you look at the track record of salespeople, you see all sorts of successful salespeople, and and there's no correlation between uh, being the funny guy in the room and being <laughs> the you know uh, <laughs> on the top top of the leaderboard. Yeah. And, and so you would think that people should have readjusted their theory by then and think, okay, I'll see something different. And if you think of this uh, mentalizing or theory of mind capability, and you understand that in the brain is something completely different from everything else, then it makes sense that you'd have all sorts of successful salespeople, right? Because if they do that really well, they may be introvert or they may be extrovert. It's mostly irrelevant. Uh, they may be tall, they may be short, they may be uh, funny, they may be dull. If they're able to read what the prospect wants, and act on what they read then they're going to be more successful at closing the deal and that's what it takes
1: so is it more is it more in line with eq right emotional emotional awareness and intelligence so there, you know, that that line between feeling what someone else is feeling and versus being able to identify it and then act it's a fine line from a conceptual standpoint many people probably aren't sitting around thinking, thinking about this yeah, except no, for no, maybe you, you,
0: me you, and you. No, no, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, so it's a bit tricky uh, compared to EQ because uh, you remember EQ was introduced by uh, Daniel Gorman who is if not mistaken is a journalist so, or a writer and so he brought this concept that is very uh, compelling but it's not very well scientifically defined. So if you go with uh, these two different capabilities one being uh, empathy the fact that you go through uh, this contagion of other people's emotions and the other one theory of mind. it's not clear what eq is between the two and and how uh, how it applies i can't map it to eq but you can you can so if you think of it you if you see somebody like my mother-in-law for example she's super uh, empathetic she she sees that people are happy she's happy and you think, oh, she has a high EQ, but uh, I'm not sure it's correct, right? What it is, that she 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 empathizes. Um, then you can take uh, Trump, and you think, well, he doesn't seem to empathize much, but <laughs> yeah, yes, right?
1: Uh, <laughs> wow, but, two extreme you know, examples, yeah. yeah yep. right? I'm, then, I see where then, you're well, going, though.
0: You're, well, yeah, because you can tell that he knows what to say, if that people follow him, right? And and so he's reading their their mind. Uh, Emotionally. I mean, he's obviously not throwing facts that are uh, amazing. He says the things that are going to move people. So you, 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 you can say, well, it's a super high emotional question because he, he used people's emotions to vote for him.
1: Uh, well, and these are, I mean, these are concepts that, I mean, you're talking much more about the cognitive mental processing, uh, you know, a, a cognitive awareness versus an emotional experience.
0: Yeah, that's exactly that, right. That's exactly
1: I'm, a, right. I'm, a, I'm, I'm cognitively aware that this person sitting across from me is not thrilled with the fact of whatever I'm presenting, or that we're pitching too long, or whatever it may be. And, and that's different than, wow, now I, it's, a, it's affecting my mood, my energy, my approach. There's a, there's a line there, there's a boundary that yeah, if you're aware of, you can reinforce and then
0: leverage to your advantage. That's right, exactly. The, the, the theory of mind is much more of a cognitive skills. It has to do with emotions, but but on the other side of emotions, so the ability to read and, and act on these emotions. Yeah.
1: And then it, I love the I hadn't thought of it before, but the the concept of contagion, contagion and empathy, like that's a great way to describe it. Because I mean, I've seen people, and I probably in my younger days was more emotionally available and, and was much more empathetic because I was contaminated a lot <laughs> by the person in right, the room. Right. Right. And now, as I get older, I can go, okay, you're upset. I don't need to be upset. I need to recognize that you are upset or not happy or perhaps you're ecstatic and then make sure that I'm responding appropriately to that but not necessarily from an
0: emotional standpoint, more of a cognitive standpoint. Yeah, you're exactly right. We go through life uh, and we learn that uh, especially in business, empathy can be detrimental. Right? Even when you mean well, uh, you don't need to get as affected to do uh, good. Uh, You know, you can just understand that, that there's a problem and address the problem instead of getting sad, uh, sad about it, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. So when was the first time you started to apply this in businesses that, I mean, I know you you mentioned the current venture, but when did you start to to work on it for yourself, you know, internalize it for yourself, become aware of it, really stay aware of it and leverage it, and then in turn put it into practice, maybe in elements of your business?
0: Yeah. So before I started Chili Piper, I ran a sales team for... Um, a company called LightSquare. There was a big telecom startup. And that, that's when I started uh, trying to put it into practice, right? So, okay, so now that I know that, how, how can I uh, take advantage of it? And the two things that uh, where I found it was applicable is recruiting and training. So recruiting uh, was a big change because I thought uh, I don't need to hire hire people who uh, come across as Australia or anything. I, I need to, people to uh, to hire people who have that talent of readings basically reading his minds you know like right <laughs> 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 uh, and and so that, that that was a shift and of course it was difficult to say well how do i find these people how do i know that everything and that that's been an exploration and, and on the training side then you say okay well now i understand that the important thing is to understand uh, the prospect's motivation what are the implications in the sales process where, where what does that change and in a nutshell, what it changes is that the discovery part of the sale is the most critical part and has to be done differently. So, in the past, you could just go through a, a list of questions, and that's how people would do it, right? There three questions, you, you, you a bit like a, a doctor doing a checkup. Uh, <laughs> you, you, do you use marketing automation, do you, use, uh, do you have a security tool? Okay, thank you, you qualified. Now the discovery is done very differently because you, you, you should be done very differently because you're really trying to understand the motivations. And then you're going to act on your, on your readers' motivations to help move the prospect towards uh, your product, right? Obviously, first you qualify economically that your product is good for the prospect and that it's, it's a good move for the prospect. But once you've done this economic qualification, you need to do this emotional qualification. We call it emotional discovery. And uh, it's a quite different uh, practice to do an emotional discovery from just a plain uh, checklist discovery.
1: Well, and I would think it'd be a bit of a challenge. I mean, you mentioned the hiring, right? So you're trying to you're trying to identify individuals that can stay in the cognitive theory of mind space, that can assess exactly what is the emotional state and or reaction of the prospect, and then have the mental acuity to be able to respond to that in a strategic way. To drive a sales process forward, and that's a exactly. an, that's a level of awareness. I mean, I don't I don't mean to make my listeners hate me right now, but that's a that's a very developed cognitive set of skills that takes practice. I mean, just even, I mean, if people think about it in their lives, how do you just maintain boundaries in your life, let alone in your own head, which is sometimes working against you? It's a bit of a challenge. Were there things you did to identify those types of individuals?
0: That's working in, 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 in progress, frankly. I, I, I wish I had a tester uh, <laughs> or you know, put them in a, you know, a bigger uh, MRI machine and uh, about us. What <laughs> did they do? was so good. You're <laughs> hired. But we're not there yet. So right now, what the, the best process I found is to do a role play and look at uh, how they do the discovery part of the role play. Right? So we role play a sale and look at the discovery. And okay. that, that goes a long way towards, uh, assessing that, that, capability. That's what I found. I'm certain that, uh, in the following years, people will find smaller techniques and more things that are more, maybe tests that you can take online, you know, the, the new, new psychometrics that, uh, that will be, uh, correlated with the area of mine. But for now, that's what we do, but it works quite well. We, we work quite well. And then the training piece is, is, is exactly what you said. It, it's, 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 it takes a long time right but it, it's a positive thing when you think of it that there's, there's this set of capabilities that matter and that are difficult to acquire but you know you can acquire them and you, you can make the investment and, and go through that process right to learn these new, these new uh, capabilities so we, uh, we do a lot of role play also in training we do tons of coaching we re- record our, our sales calls and and replay them afterwards and we focus heavily on that uh, emotional discovery piece and then train ourselves and train our salespeople team, sales team, sales to improve. The other piece you mentioned is the ability to, so empathy is not only what is required for salespeople, but it can also be detrimental. Oh, absolutely. So, right, right. so you also want to make sure that, and, and the, uh, the most typical example of a detrimental empathy in sales is you get on a call, the other person is going to be they start uh, being negative, and then you absorb this negativity, and you continue negative, right? And that's the worst thing you can do, as you know in sales. You know, if we want negative, you want to be completely uh, not oblivious, but you want to be able to to control it and keep stay positive and not get this contagion uh, into you. So that is something also that takes a lot of time uh, and experience. But that's and you p- probably
1: therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, the <laughs> level of, I mean, the level of self-awareness, I and I love it, right? I, I I'm completely tracking and and could not agree more with with what what you're saying. What amazes me is when we, you know, you have people that maybe don't have that level, and it does, it doesn't even matter about age or, or experience. Some people develop it naturally. Some people. It, probably like me, take a lot of bruising to get to the point where you can pull that off. But it is invaluable in the coaching scenario, which is one that I think a lot of companies have a tendency to miss. You sit down and have the tough conversations, there's going to be an emotional reaction from the person that you're trying to work with and or coach. And if you while well, keep going with the contagion, if you get contaminated with that as a coach, then your coaching of uh, what you're coaching on them and the impacts you're having may not necessarily be positive, which then in turn impacts the long-term revenue generation of that individual and possibly the team
0: because they're going to go out and contaminate others. You're absolutely right. Uh, the, this uh, concept of empathy and theory of mind also applies to uh, management and, and and the role of a sales manager. So it's not only about how you handle a sales call, it's also how you handle uh, your coaching uh, uh, sessions. If you're going to uh, get mad, uh, you know, and, and, and start the session, uh, your coaching session in a very bad mood, that's not going to go well. <laughs> and so you're absolutely right. And you're right also that some people are more natural than others. But I think most of us, uh, just like you, uh, get bruises and, and struggle a long time before we can get to an improvement but it's what makes it exciting there's something to aim for. <laughs>
1: i'll tell you what there's some excitement i've had in my past i wish i didn't and if i if i'd had more control over this i probably would have had better reactions to certain things it's an amazing concept and one that i mean i could spend man i could spend all day talking about this but let's take it back to your business so you've got this and now you're, you're doing chili piper when you started to implement this what were some of the impacts That you saw or are seeing across the company? I mean, you mentioned higher conversion rates and better qualification, but what are you seeing in terms of is it impacting the culture of the team or the way that the team interacts or even the conversations that you're hearing inside the office? Because it does, if you're coaching and pushing this way, then it has tendency to resonate more on the cognitive side, right? So people are a little bit more aware of the emotional turmoil that is a day-to-day life sometimes and they try to try to live on the other side of the cognitive side but i'm curious what you're seeing inside of the in chili Piper as you do this and, and implement this
0: Yeah, absolutely right let's start with the, the um, cultural side so the three values that chili are help innovate have fun and the number one is help and and that's by design for the very nature we you know we thought look you want to have a positive mindset. You want to make sure we're talking about coaching, you want to make sure that uh, we, we always think of helping the other. And that's the first step in the mindset. You uh, want to spend your energy in, in positive direction. So that that's uh, something we strongly encourage whenever somebody helps somebody else, we acknowledge it once a week. We have a company meeting. We always acknowledge people who have helped others. We also acknowledge people who have helped our customers, of course, with uh, this thing called the animal of the week because, the, you know, the, from the expression, wow, the guy or that woman is an animal, right? <laughs> something, something, uh, so the animal of the week, somebody who's helped, helped our customer or helped somebody, uh, especially. So we, we, we uh, very much... Um, Try to develop a positive culture of help. And then we get into more technical, uh, the more technical aspect for salespeople of teaching this theory of mind and uh, the ability to to uh, read uh, their prospect uh, motivation. And your question was, well, what effect does it have? And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's uh, completely dramatic. So we were talking about, oh, yeah, it's better conversion rates, but it's not. Uh, you, a little bit better you you go from so we can take somebody at five percent conversion rates and take that person to 30 percent conversion rate wow yeah and and what i'm talking about is um so you get an opportunity where they inbound or in Brown, and then you have to convert it to a close one right that conversion rate and that's that's how dramatic it is uh top people that are 30 percent and you know sometimes get entry people at five percent and we work on them we work with them to 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 get these skills to uh so it's, it's time six it's it's dramatic it's not uh it's not the marginal effect
1: it, that's impressive i mean and so i would assume as you're as you're going through this there are things that you know you're continuing to educate yourself on the neuroscience side of things i'm, I'm assuming just like the the rest of us we're <laughs> into this right so there's yeah. always new things coming out and and so how have you developed because if once you get it tuned in, once you have, you know, once you're hiring the right people and you've got the culture aspect of it and you've, you've helped them understand how to balance that empathy and theory of mind, you know, once you get it to a place, you want to be careful with the little lab experiment because it is a business at the end of the day. So if you developed a process for, you know, hey, something new comes out, you learn about, you think you might be able to build it into the business, but you don't want to just unleash it because you're not a hundred percent sure. What kind of impact it would have? Is there a process or an approach, or that you go through to kind of test with a smaller group how it might impact something before you roll something large out, or is it just a constant evolution? So you,
0: we very much uh, do what you say. We we uh, we keep I keep reading uh, the latest uh, research, and whenever I find something that can, would be applicable, then I try to bring it in. Uh, right now, Clear is still a small sales team, so I don't have the luxury of having a subset, but I experiment on my entire sales team. So, <laughs> uh, you know, at, at least, at least, uh, yeah. But that, let me give you an example. That, uh, recently, I spent more time on this concept of reference points. So it turns out that uh, the brain, And and that's something that Tversky and Kahneman have have identified, this this concept of of relative value. So um, their theory of prospect theory is is based on the concept of a prospect, meaning that things are not absolute. It depends on your reference points. So you have a certain uh, prospect, as in the the perspective of what you're going to have, and you evaluate your options against that prospect. That's why people get attached to things as the endowment effect or, or the anchoring effect and, and, and things of this nature. Well, they found that the brain is actually designed to operate that way. So the brain does not store absolute values. And a good example that you can find in Paul Gim- Gimscher's book is um, the fact that uh, we are able to see the same colors. So I have a blue sweater. Uh, we can, I can see that my sweater is blue. Indoor and outdoor. And yet, if you go outdoor, the amount of lights that you receive is one million times more. So, you have to be able to, with one million times more photon your eyes to be able to say, well, that's still blue. I know it was blue inside when it was a million times less bright, it's a million times brighter, and yet it's the same color. And the brain does that by constantly recomputing a reference point. And it turns out that it does the same thing. When to make a de- when making a decision so to compute the values is different things. at any time there's a reference point that's recomputed and um, that's actually a completely fascinating uh, finding that's extremely applicable in sales because you 're starting your sales call and and the person on the other side, uh, if you think of it, is going to reset her reference point so you 're going to start a conversation and and this is very uh, you think you have a shot at, the, at getting the reference point for that person where my solution is going to be evaluated positively because, because of the freedom of, of setting the reference point. So that was a, a great example with, okay, well, how does that apply to what we do uh, in sales? And we found several steps that we can take in in, in a call where to make sure that our prospect has the ra- correct reference point to evaluate the offering. Then we're experimenting with that. And, and when I can have results, uh, when I can show that we further improve our conversion rates and I'll get back on a call with you. and. Oh, you please. That would that. be amazing.
1: <laughs> I mean, because reference points, a lot of the conversation around reference points that I've, I've had lately is around unconscious bias and you use the anchoring, right? So people, people will have this unconscious bias they're not aware of. That's and right. sometimes it turns out, you know, one example is the anchoring bias. And so, to turn it from something that has a bit of a negative connotation into something that actually has a positive outcome. When you figure that out, you call me and we'll, we'll do the show the next day. I'll, <laughs> I'm, I'm on. That's I'm good. in. Let's... <laughs> let's let I'm, working on it. It. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. Ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions toward the end of each interview. The first is simply... As a CEO, that makes you a prospect for other people, right? You're probably getting people reaching out to you all the time. So I'm always curious to find out when somebody doesn't have a referral or a reference into you where there's not a trusted path in, what works for you for them to capture your attention and earn the right to that 15 minutes or 20 minutes on your calendar?
0: So I think what works is uh, back to the fundamentals. I do find myself... uh, uh, answering emails, uh, unsolicited emails, and actually engaging and uh, it's a very simple reason is because my company needs it right <laughs> they, they they come up with something that is yes that's relevant to me uh, I, that's a need. I found that uh, you know people who tell me, oh, I see you've been to Stanford, uh, I've been to Stanford also or I see you from Paris, Or you wrote a book, I wrote a book. that makes no difference to me. I mean you know I, I'm at work I'm I have a, a job to do to run a company, and I don't care that you uh, that you liked my blog post. What <laughs> <laughs> I don't care, what I care, that you have something that actually my company needs, and I'm going to engage with. So the number one uh, recommendation I have is you have to. The, the first thing is economic value, right? We talked earlier about emotional value, motivation, but the number one criteria is economic value. Is it something that my company at this stage is likely to need or is likely to be good? And if it is, just explain to me how and why. So like recently, I uh, got in touch with example. Uh, a recruiter reached out to me and he said, I can help you with your search for executives. It was just the right time. Uh, we want to hire a chief marketing officer right now. It explained to me how it was the right person to help me do that, and boom, I engaged with, with, with that person. And I will do that for software products, for other services. You have to qualify economically the, 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 the account, the account level. I mean, all the rest is, uh, you know, it's, it's bluff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they have to show you that they know you from a business role perspective yeah. that
0: the their solution is the right solution for you and why for your company and why right mm-hmm. that, that's that's the best way to get uh, to get my attention and I suspect uh, most people uh, behave the same way right yeah. It is it is yeah. very similar.
1: The show me you know yeah. me concept, make it valuable to me. It's one of the it's one of the drums I beat all the time when I'm working with clients. It's not about you. They don't give a crap about your product. What they care about is the outcomes it can provide for them. So if you don't know if they care about those outcomes, why would you be disrespectful and Hummeling them with emails and phone calls. That's right. Um, (laughs) All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. There's one thing you could tell sales, marketing consultants, there's one piece of advice you could give them that if they listened to, you believe would help them hit their targets or exceed their goals. What would it be? And why?
0: We have the, um, concept of, uh, micro theory that would be implemented in a team that works really well and i think it's generally applicable the idea is along the line of what we just discussed of something that's relevant so the idea is to have a micro theory of why your product is relevant to your prospect so for example you're going to say um, you've just raise money you're going to be hiring uh, It's likely that uh, you're going to need uh, to make some changes in your recruiting process and you may need, need uh, an ATS right, to track your uh, thing. So you have a theory of why your product is, is going to be relevant to the particular company. And then you use that, that micro theory in your communication. So you say, Hey, I, I see you phrase money. You're going to hire you probably going to rethink how you do your process how about uh, we help you we have a, a solution that will help you with the next stage? So it's this concept of micro theory. Whenever you reach out to, to a company, you have a theory of why it's relevant to them, and and you can have uh, you can organize your um, go to market in a whole bunch of small micro theories that that apply to uh, different companies, but where there's more than one, so uh, you're going to look for. Uh, for example, we've just launched a solution to help people book meetings at events. Right? So, Dreamforce is coming. We took the list of sponsors, and we we know that they're going to want to make money from the event. So we have a the macro theory, the macro theory that they spent a lot of money on Dreamforce, and as a result, they want to get a return on investment, and they want to book a lot of meetings. That's, that's how you make money at events by booking a lot of meetings. So we go with this macro theory. We found everybody who's uh, sponsor at Dreamforce, we reach out to them, say you spent a lot of money, and you probably want to make sure that you get a return on the investment. And I think this reference, uh, this framework works beautifully. So uh, it works for consultants, it works for professional services, for marketing. You, have, you, you just go deeper, not only as what your product can bring, but uh, as a micro theory of what your product is particularly relevant to a particular account.
1: I love it. it. And it's actually, it's more of an implementation of almost the CX concept of micro moments that, that Google was really big on for a while, which is, you know, Hey, everybody has a micro moment. If you can understand what those micro moments are, you can chain them together. You're turning it around into how do I use it from a strategic standpoint to get the, the sales impact I want? Absolutely love it. Love yeah, it. All a right. good, good, uh, good point. Yeah. Okay, so Nicholas, if a person is interested in talking more to you about these topics and/or learning more about Chili Piper, where do you want us to send? Do you want to go to LinkedIn, to the
0: website? No, uh, they should all come to website. So our core product is what we call concierge. It's uh, this idea that when you fill a form, we engage with you immediately. So obviously, that's what's running on our website. So if you go to www.chilipiper.com, that's C H I N I P I P E R. Everybody can. experience our solution 1st uh, 10 uh, book a meeting with us, and we always love to engage with uh, everybody.
1: Excellent. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. It's been an absolute joy to have you. My pleasure. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill. Check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share an episode with friends, families, coworkers. Drop us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we Value selling associates. Wish you all nothing but the greatest success.